the founder of Network Capital here with Adam, the co-founder of Braintrust, uh, a phenomenal decentralized network which is trying to unbundle work from employment. Uh, we're going to discuss more about the founding thesis of Braintrust, why it exists and what's the problem it's trying to solve. But let's start from the basics, Adam. Um, tell us a bit about uh, you know, your background and how did you get interested in um, the unbundling of work from employment per se? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my quick background, I'm a, a software engineer by training. I actually studied computer science at Vanderbilt University and then came out here to the San Francisco Bay Area right out of school. And I, I was sort of an engineer, engineer turned entrepreneur. Um, Braintrust is actually my fourth venture-backed marketplace. Uh, they're all four in different categories. The first one was an e-commerce uh, company acquired by Intuit. Uh, second one is an automotive platform, connects drivers and mechanics. Uh, acquired by Advanced Auto Parts. Uh, third one is called Doctor on Demand, which is a large uh, video telemedicine platform connecting doctors and patients for live medical visits. And then Brain Trust, which, as as you uh, aptly point out, um, is helping kind of unbundle work from full time employment. Um, and that's been um, uh, a passion of mine here for the last few years. Of really just kind of letting people who do the work who create value, keep more of that value and work with more freedom and autonomy and, um, you know, and not, and not give up a big piece of their income to, you know, a staffing firm or an employer or a marketplace. Perhaps an example would be helpful for listeners to really understand what this unbundling really looks like and uh, what are the implications for organizations and for top talent? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I'll, I'll talk about, kind of the the world of IT talent, although, because that's where brain trust plays right now, although I think this will apply to all knowledge work in the future and, and gig work as well in the real world. Um, but I, I like to use this paradigm in kind of the old way and the new way. So, you know, if you were, let's say a job developer or a UI developer or designer, um, and, and you weren't going to like, specialize full-time in one particular type of role at, at say Google or, or Facebook. Um, you know, the old way is kind of like, you know, you, you go to work for a staffing firm. They tell you where to be, what to do, what to work on. They set your rate and then they bill it, bill out to the client in a much higher way. The new way is just like fixing all those problems. So it's, you become you create a profile and brain trust. You ver verify and validate all your skills and work history. You can pick and choose jobs you feel like working on, when you want to work on them, from where you want to work because it's all remote, and you set your own price. And the brain trust network doesn't charge you any fees; just charges the client a small ten percent fee, basically just to cover the overhead of the network. Because the network here, it, the network's role, unlike a staffing firm's role, is to increase how much they can bill you out at. The network uh, of brain trust, our role is the opposite. It's it's to get you the very best price and then get out of the way. And so it's it's basically like rethinking the entire paradigm of of how knowledge workers 
you know, find new jobs and, and create value and keep that value. Yeah, I love that. How did you get interested in this problem? Because um, these marketplaces are something that you've been building for, for some time now. Uh, <laughs> why now? And um, tell us more about the early days of the company. Well, it really takes someone who has built and, and invested in, and, you know, and frankly been kind of part of the problem uh, with Web2 marketplaces all these years. Um, and, and so, you know, that, that, that's been my whole career is, you know, is following the Web2 playbook, which is essentially, you know, raising a lot of money because it's very capital intensive to, to you know, build these two-sided marketplaces. You, you take the capital, you subsidize one or both sides, supply and or demand until you get liquidity in the marketplace, lots of people transacting. And then if you're lucky enough to sort of break orbit there, you come out the other end with, you know, a fully investor owned network and those investors need a return on their capital. Very rightfully so, right? They were the risk on capital in that endeavor. Um, and so where's that return come from? It comes from an ever increasing rake, e either coming through a marketplace fee that keeps going up like you see on Fiverr or Upwork, or larger and larger margins between you and the client, thanks to a Deloitte or PwC or whatever. And so um, I really thought like, you know, Web2 marketplaces created so much new value in the world, but most of that value just went to like two founders or in a couple of VCs. And almost none of the value accrued to the people who actually make their living on the network. And so when I got into blockchain, um, I became fascinated with this concept of tokens replacing shares of stock in insofar as uh, in the way the network is controlled. Um, and so I don't mean, you know, sh shares of stock presume you need a dividend. It's a profit return mechanism. I thought, you know, what if you could like, instead of having a for-profit entity run this marketplace and, and keep extracting value, what if you could create a nonprofit entity that's basically just a bunch of software? It's in our case, it's a bunch of smart contracts on Ethereum. And that, that software essentially serves as a public good. And the public good's role is to connect talent with clients that need that talent, right? In, in the least extractive way possible. And so if you can figure that out, you can unlock all new kinds of opportunities, right? Like big jobs, like you see on Goldman, uh, on Braintrust, like big companies like Goldman Sachs and Nike and Nestle are posting these massive jobs and gigs and, and short-term and long-term and just massive things that you would never see hit a uh, high fee marketplace like Upwork. And it would be way too expensive to do on like an Accenture or KPMG. So um, it, by creating this public good, we call Braintrust, people can finally like, unwind out of full-time roles and, and, you know, go have the economic freedom they want to, you know, pick and choose what they want to do. How do you define brain trust? Is it a nonprofit? Is it a movement? Is it um, something about a definite definition? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't love the term nonprofit because it presumes like, I, I, I don't know if I can, you know, I don't want to say a bunch of bad things about nonprofits either, because there are some good ones out there, but not a lot. Um, not nonprofit just assumes like, oh, there's a bunch of bureaucracy and like the organization, the nonprofit organization itself has to protect and feed itself through donations. And like, there's a bunch of baggage on that term that I really don't like because brain trust is none of those things. That's why I use the term public good. Um, so, so it's, look, it, it's, it's really sophisticated software 
that replaces the middlemen who just make introductions between talent and clients. So that's one. But two, I like the, the, the other word you use is movement. I mean, there's a real movement here around unbundling corporate America, right? I, I don't think anyone really loves, you know, having to be a full-time employee for one company, you know, having no variety in what you do, no autonomy, having to come to an office and commute and go to a cubicle farm. And even if you can work remotely, like you're still really constrained in what you do and how you do it. Um, I think the main reason, and there, I, there was some study, I just heard another podcast and I, I, uh, sorry, I won't, I won't have the correct citation, but it was something like 70% of polled Americans wanted to be their own small business owner you know, slash freelancer, whatever, but only 30% are. And the, the main thing stopping most information workers, most knowledge workers from doing so is they don't want to like go out and have to pitch clients and go find the work, right? If you, if you, if you're a freelance developer or freelance programmer, you, you're either going to join an agency or start an agency and you're gonna have to go pitch clients all the time. The cool thing, the unique thing about brain trust, because it's owned by its users and is not a profit maximizing entity, there's unlimited demand, right? There's a, like clients just cannot get find enough talent. And so if you are a freelance, if you're, if you're a knowledge worker thinking about leaving your full-time job and becoming a freelancer, brain trust just solves your biggest barrier, which is going and finding work. Cause there's an unlimited amount of work on brain trust for you. Oh, and by the way, we're just starting to bundle on health insurance for us folks. Uh, because that's the number two barrier to joining Brain Trust as a as a freelancer. So now you could join Brain Trust and get health coverage the same as you would if you joined a normal company. I was about to come to that because employment typically uh, means more than a paycheck, right? There's community, there's health insurance, and other things that you talked about. So uh, have you all given it a thought that how can freelancers avail similar benefits as traditional employment and have the autonomy, mastery, and purpose along the way. Yeah, absolutely. I would say it's not, not just my view. I mean, the data shows like the, the, the main benefit that folks, you know, hang on to full-time employment situations, at least in the U.S. for is health insurance because we don't, you know, we don't have like great government options here. So that is the big barrier. That's why we spend a lot of time integrating health insurance partners into the platform. The other things you mentioned, I would argue like mastery, autonomy, community, you're actually probably going to get more of and, and more concentration of and more of your own choosing by entering the global freelance community, right? If you work at Oracle, you're sort of limited to, and I'm not, I mean, to pick on Oracle, but like you're, you're sort of limited to like the type of people that work at Oracle and the specialties and subspecialties those folks have. Um, and you're going to hit a ceiling potentially at some point um, if you're interested in other things that Oracle just is, just can't offer you. Whereas when you join the Discord at Brain Trust, there's so many different fields, different folks from around the world. It's a very passion-driven community. Like we're all here because we want to be. Um, and so you have this like it's a much more and and frankly more diverse community I think um, than you find at a single company. That's a really interesting aspect about community building. I see that on network capital as well, where our community members around the world uh, seem to be forthcoming, willing to share their insights with others, help others grow, and it comes naturally to them, as opposed to people who are restricted to only say one company or one institution. Sometimes, um, you know, there are limits to what you can accomplish there. 
I mean, your, your group is living proof that that gap is huge and folks are craving things outside of their own corporate environment. I mean, you guys are proof of that at scale. Yeah. So Adam, tell me uh, a bit about uh, education. So if you look at education, the early model was that you study for about 20, 25, 28 years, get your master's, MBA, and then you're expected to work for a very long time and retire. And now we are seeing this unbundling of education as well where people are looking at education like work in modular parts. Um, is there an age demographic that's very strongly represented in brain trust? And do you think that retirement is dead? Now people are more likely to alternate between study and work on their own terms. Well, there's a, there's a bunch of interesting points kind of <clears throat> bundled in there. Um, so, I, I mean, I'll take the, the first one, education. Um, you know, in... So many fields, I mean, think about how many fields today where people make a living that, that, that's just not taught in school or at least not taught well, right? I went to computer, I studied computer science at a top 15 engineering school um, and it was completely useless. And that, I graduated 16, 17 years ago, so I'm not, I'm not a fresh grad. Um, but back then it was completely useless. I can't imagine it's any better now because the tech has moved up so quickly. Right. The, the field just outpaces the, the, the rate at which the, the traditional as educational institutions are going to teach it. And you're not going to get any on the job experience anyway. So um, I think, you know, so, so that's one point is like edu education in America can't unbundle quickly enough. That's why I love places like Coursera um, and YouTube. You know, you can learn anything in the world for free, basically, on YouTube. Um, and then... Um, you know, pick, like picking what you want to do, I, I like this whole concept of retirement. I mean, you know, I feel like, and then look, and I, I don't want to be naive. I, I know not all fields can figure this out in, right now, but, you, you, you know, I feel like one of the joys and real benefits of freelancing is you get to specialize, right? You get to really just pick one or two things that you love to do and then only take jobs that, that involve those skills, right? And so, and if you love your specialty, and I, I know not everybody does. I mean, I, when I was a software developer, I didn't, there were things I didn't love about it. But if you can pick a specialty that you do love and then sort of do it as often as, as you want or, or need to, to make a living, like what, then what does retirement mean, right? Like if you can do that with half your time and, and travel the other half or, you know, be with your family uh, or pursue a hobby that doesn't make money the other half, like, why retire, right? Like you've, you've kind of found your Zen at that point. So that's one of, one of my passions with brain trust is like helping people find that Zen space where they can work as much or little as they want. And then like pursue being, you know, having a happy life with the rest of it. Awesome. And uh, is there an age demographic that's well represented or it's people across the spectrum on brain trust? Yeah, it's, a, it's all over the spectrum. Um, it's, it's anyone who, has skills that clients need. <laughs> so that's pretty broad. I would say like it, it definitely not a lot of people right out of college, right? Because colleges do not equip people with the skills that companies need. They just don't. And so um, I, I would urge anyone who's, you know, thinking about going to college, don't do it uh, unless you really want that experience, right? It could be a fun social experience, but it is not going to help you make a living in most fields, unless you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer, you have to do it. Um, in the engineering fields and design and graphic arts and UX, 
you do not need to go to college. It's going to, it's not going to help you. And so um, our, our age, you know, we have a big bell curve, obviously, but it starts older than you'd think. Got it. Got it. Um, tell me a bit about uh, the passion economy. And is there a difference between, say, the creator economy, ownership economy, and the passion economy? Because brain trusts seem to be optimizing for, uh, for all of the above. Yeah, I think, you know, I think passion economy and creator economy, to me, are, are very similar, if, if not the same. Um, you know, it's like, you know, I mean, you won't be, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be a creator unless you're passionate, right? I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Um, but so, so those things, you know, I think are, are similar. Um, the ownership economy is, is a, is a whole different construct, right? That, that just, that's, that's a different economic situation where um, if you're participating in the ownership economy, you are literally, you know, you, you literally have ownership and control in the network where you make your living, right? So if you're a recording artist on Audius, you know, you own Audius tokens, which, which represent control in the Audius network, right? Which is a decentralized Spotify, if you haven't heard of that. Um, if you are talent on brain trust and earn brain trust tokens, you now control the brain trust network through those tokens and you get to decide, you have your vote on, you know, the future of the network, what the fees should be, who should be allowed in, what the standards of quality should be, all the things that like a corporation would decide with, without consulting you as a talent member, hmm. you now have owner, literal ownership in, your, in the future of your network. Absolutely. And uh, I was wondering, when you get a brain trust token, a B-trust token, um, it doesn't really replace currency, is it? But in time, it could. Could you, could you explain a bit uh, what that transaction entails and what's the tangible benefit of me as, say, a, a, a talent or a network connector or whatever of having that brain trust uh, token? Yeah, so, so there, there's only a finite number of brain trust tokens in, in supply. It's 250 million fixed supply can never mint anymore. That's written in the smart contract. Um, and it's used as an incentive mechanism to, you know, incentivize people to build the network. That could mean inviting talent, um, screening new talent, inviting clients, onboarding clients, helping write marketing copy, participating in, you know, uh, promotional thing. I mean, just all the things you that a company of our uh, uh, that a company that is as big as the Brain Trust Network would have thousands of employees by now. Brain Trust has forty five thousand community members that all sort of participate in the token economy at some scale, and so that's how you earn the token. And then what the token means the mean the meaning of the token is control of the network, right? You get to propose new ideas for the roadmap. You get to vote yes or no on whether you think other people's ideas. Uh, are worth are worth completing. Um, other features of the token um, help you build your business on, and that kind of thing. Um, it's not a payment. It's not meant to be a payment layer. Um, all the jobs are paid in dollars. Um, you know, we don't. People need to pay their rent and all their expenses. Like you do that in dollars. Um, and so, you know, Brain Trust is is the Brain Trust tokens decentralized. People can use it for anything they want. Um, you know, people use non-fiat currencies as currency all over the world, right? Whether you trade, maybe trade a case of wine for, you know, an old Porsche or something like that, right? Those are two, those two are then currencies, but um, 
doesn't mean that they're universal currencies, right? You can't just like buy things with a case of wine at Walmart. So um, I look at brain, the brain trust token the same way, right? It's the brain trust token is a, it's a membership ticket basically into a, into an organization where you make your living. Fascinating. So Adam, is there something unique about web 3.0 that enables the ecosystem to blossom? Could you not theoretically do it as a web 2.0 system with a relatively low take rate? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the answer is you, you, you couldn't. Um, web 2 and web 3 are opposites. Um, web 2 is a, is a for-profit entity, controls the network. So the, the web 2 brain trust would be Upwork or Fiverr. And a for-profit company's fiduciary, its legal obligation to its shareholders is to return as much shareholder value as possible. And so if the management team at, say, Upwork said, you know what, we're going to not take as much value as, as we could, um, the board could and should and would fire that management team and replace it with someone who would extract as much value as possible. So um, it's not, it's just, they're two different paradigms, right? They're, they're, they're mutually exclusive web two and web three. And so, um, you know, web three networks job is the opposite. The web three networks job is to extract as, as little value as possible while allowing the users who own and control that network to keep as much value as possible. Awesome. How are you growing today? I'm, um, I believe I'm a brain trust network connector. So like hundreds of people joined the community because I, so that's a really robust channel in place. And I think I get paid if, uh, if somebody takes up a job and they get paid by the employer. What are the other growth channels? Because you've reached a significant uh, critical mass pretty quickly. Yeah, well, um, thank you for being a great connector. It's you, you guys are the primary growth driver for the network. Um, in the early days, we had to bootstrap. So we had, you know, a sales team who would go out and get clients. I was my, myself and Gabe were the first salespeople. And in the first, say, 100 or so talent, I brought on myself. And then those 100 people brought the next 1,000 people and, and so on and so on. Now, literally 100%, uh, we just heard the stat this morning in our all hands, 100% of our enterprise um, expansion comes through word of mouth through the connectors or accounts expanding themselves. Um, and then, you know, on the talent side, it's um, I, I mostly talent referring other talent or great connectors, again, like you, you know, bringing folks in. We don't spend money on acquisition. That's awesome. We don't either. So we're a big fan of the referral model ourselves. But uh, how about the enterprises? You mentioned Goldman, Nike. These are pretty big names. And I'm in touch with a couple of um, colleagues at Brain Trust that I've referred a few or in the process of referring a few. So referral I get, but are there inbounds as well? Enterprises coming to you and saying that, hey, we find what you're doing interesting. Tell us more how we can recruit talent from here. Yeah, that, that you know that was one of the more surprising pieces of this as the network grew is the um, the inbounds are there's almost more than we can handle and and so the reason so we actually built a program that was just announced a couple of days ago called the Brain Trust Node Program and this basically it's for existing agencies let's say like you run a dev shop or a design UX shop or something like that and you know you're pretty big you've got you know maybe you're doing 10, 20, 30 million a year in revenue. Um, if you be, if you sign up and, and sort of get through the screening, you can become a brain trust node, and you, now you pay the network fee, the the ten percent fee, um, 
which you know obviously drives you know value into the network and the protocol. But um, what you get is like exclusive access to some categories, some subcategories of the inbound leads. So you know, like this, there's this uh, first example is this uh, agency called Kunai, which joined as a node uh, in January of of 2022. And you know they're doing twenty million a year in revenue, and they're they're paying the network fee on BrainTrust, but they're a huge fintech shop, so they're going to serve all the banking clients and fintech clients, and so they're really growing their business by bringing all their talent and clients onto BrainTrust. And so that was sort of our our V one answer to like how do you handle all this inbound? Got it. And I also noticed that there's something interesting about your freelancing assignments. One, they tend to be pretty well paid and then they're not super short. So is there a rationale for that? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. I, we, this is like kind of a, a point of criticism for us sometimes now, uh, which is ironic, right? Because most people want, you know, longer on, you know, ongoing things. But yeah, I mean, we, when we set up to build the network, we, we wanted to, to achieve the kind of the hardest part first, which is high paying ongoing gigs. That's kind of like, that was the holy grail before Web3 was like, because you can get a low paying short-term gig anywhere. That's what Fiverr is all about, right? And that's what Upwork's all about. Average job size on Upwork's, you know, 200 bucks or something. Um, and so we specifically positioned the network to capture those, those higher paid longer term ones. But then we've heard a lot from our community saying, Hey, like, what if I just want like a 30 day gig and then I'm, you know, off, off to Bali for, for, for the following month. And, um, and so, yeah, we're, we're trying to incentivize people to bring more of those shorter term gigs on as well. Have you followed the great resignation, the broader trend that's going on in the U S and other parts of the world? The great resignation was a train that hit us when we happened to be standing on the tracks. You know, it's like, it, it, it was, I think caused by, COVID, right? Like COVID sort of proved that most jobs can be done remotely. Most knowledge worker jobs, right? We want to be fair to people who deliver people packages and food. Um, but for folks who make their living in front of a computer like you you and I do, um, most of these jobs can be done remotely. And, and so I think it showed a lot of people like, hey, I don't have to live in this expensive city that I don't like anymore. I don't have to commute on the one-on-one freeway anymore. And, you know, like it, I think that all those realizations, you know, triggered this great resignation. And then, like I said, brain trust just happened to be standing in the right place at the right time and, and caught all this talent that was unwinding out of their full-time jobs that they didn't want anymore. And they, you know, wanted to freelance instead. It's a it, it, great resignation. It, as far as I can tell, doesn't mean like a bunch of 30 and 40 somethings just dropped out of the workforce, right? Like they, they still have bills to pay. It's not like everyone's wealthy all of a sudden, but um, yeah, I think it's this like, the, you know, this, this remote work wave um, crashed over the economy and, and changed, you know, the expectations employees have. Yeah, I mean, uh, before Network Capital, I used to work at Microsoft, and I would imagine that there would be a lot of uh, folks of big tech companies part of the network now. Um, how do you think of uh, employee stock options versus the brain trust? Or how do people think about uh, their long-term wealth creation when it join a decentralized network such as uh, brain trust? Yeah, I mean, um, brain trust is a network that connects people with opportunity, right? So if you're going to um, write software for a startup on brain trust, you're still going to get stock options in that startup. Um, if you're, 
you know, committing code and doing heavy projects for Goldman Sachs, like you probably still get RSUs or whatever, right? I don't want, I'm not speaking for them in particular, but like equity is part of every comp package and, and like that, that doesn't change in this world. Got it. So, um, you know, just moving, moving on, what are some of the more important goals for you in 2022? Are you looking to pressure a few levers? Yeah, well, look, I, I think 2022 has the potential to be the year that networks like Brain Trust could actually consolidate the talent space. And let, let me sort of give it, I'll give an example of what I mean by that. So think about the vacation rental space before Airbnb came along. Right? It was basically like travel agents and newspaper ads and Craigslist postings. And it was very sketchy, not a good experience, no quality, no reputation, could be dangerous at times. Airbnb came in with a superior experience and consolidated the space. They didn't, they're not the majority of the space, right? But they're certainly the biggest player. The plur, they have the plurality of the space. I think Braintrust has the same opportunity, but for talent. Right before brain trust, like okay, you can you, this, you can play the safe bet and go to KPMG or Accenture. They're going to pay you, you know, pretty lousy rates, but but it's a steady paycheck and health benefits. But that's it. You get no autonomy. You don't get to pick who you work for when when you work, and and most of the value goes to Accenture through the markup. Or you can start an agency and like get random clients and half them won't pay you. And like, now you're in like a collections mm -hmm. business and like you're now you're like running a business you never wanted to run. Right. So like, you know, it's this, you know, the, the talent industry, it just, it's just, it's not great right now if, if you want autonomy, We're, but the brain trust model has the, has the potential. Well, it already is, you know, at scale fixing those problems. And so I don't think brain trust will ever like be bigger than all the consulting firms, at least like that's not the near-term goal, but I think it can consolidate the space like Airbnb has. Hmm. Adam, are there people who are looking for additional source of income on your platform? Things like, uh, like just like they have a day job, but they are also on brain trust trying to just increase their monthly income or they're just hobbies looking for a fun weekend project, but over a long period of time. Yeah, I mean, that that's the best way to get started with a network like Brain Trust is like pick up a 10 to 20 hour week engagement. That's probably why we're getting criticism that we don't have enough of these 10, 10 to 20 hour week engagements on the platform, which is a fair, a fair criticism. Um, or, um, or like, you know, do what you did and like just join as a connector and, you know, kind of monetize your network in, in your background, you know, and, 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 you know, earn uh, tokens that way, right? There, there's a bunch of ways you can sort of just dip your toe in. Got it. Uh, do you, um, do you see that like, you know, this with the new norm of uh, creator economy, fashion economy, all of these things um, are becoming more mainstream now. Do you see other kinds of brain trust like models come about? What does competition mean to you? Or you, you welcome many other decentralized networks coming to fore? Well, we, um, I don't know of any sort of similar networks to, to brain trust, but um, you know, the, the competition for brain trust is the old way, right? It's the web two kind of staffing firms like brain trust, web three are the disruptors, the economic disruptors to web two. Um, I mean, there's other, I think there's other cool web three networks. Like I mentioned, Audius, decentralized um, streaming audio. There's Gitcoin, which is like a, 
um, decentralized network for people who, who contribute to and, and makes open source software better. Uh, so it's very complimentary to brain trust. They're pretty cool. Um, but like, you know, this is still a really new field. We need, we need more people working on web three. And I've heard you talk about how disruption happens before. So could you, you know, give us, um, you know, how do you see this wave of disruption take place and, um, incumbent versus, you know, networks like yours? Yeah. I mean, uh, look, disruption only happens when somebody can offer like a, you know, a two to five or 10 X better solution, right? It can't be incrementally better, right? Like it's, you know, um, Uber was like 10 times better riding than riding in a taxi or, or hailing a taxi or paying for a taxi or getting one to come to you. Like the whole taxi experience was completely broken and Uber 10 X it. And so um, it's not, it's not until you, you know, deliver just like a, a step function, better experience uh, and economics that that disruption happens. And so I think the, you know, the fair criticism of most blockchain tech so far is like, their solutions looking for problems, right? They're not, um, they're not really solving a problem for anybody. It's blockchain is complexity for complexity's sake. You hear a lot. I completely agree with that. Um, but you know, I, I really think being able to own the network, own and control the network where you make your living is 10 X better than working at Accenture or trying to squeak out a living on, on Upwork or, slaving away in a full-time W-2 job that you'd hate, right? That you only 10% of the stuff you do is something that you think is worthwhile. Um, and so autonomy, better economics, control, um, that, that, that's a fuel for, that, you know, that, that, those are the ingredients for disruption, I think. Can anyone get deep platform on Braintrust? Yeah, sure. So the interesting thing, you know, Braintrust is a decentralized network meaning anyone can participate, like anyone can become a connector, get their code, start referring. Um, but there's there's a twist of identity that involved in brain trust that doesn't exist maybe in some other networks. Um, and so if you're, you, you know, it, you have to, in order to, to provide services as a talent member, you have to become verified by the community, right? The community sets the standards for that and actually does the screening. I mean, we the, the people who are involved in founding the network have nothing to do with it at this point. Um, so if the community has decided, right, if, if you can't get through those screenings or if you're somehow a bad actor, um, you know, you could you could lose your account on the platform. Now you can always reapply, nothing, nothing stops you from reapplying, but because the community curates itself, it is possible for people to get banned. Um, I'm not sure. I don't think it's ever happened. I mean, I'm not sure. I haven't checked. Mm. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, it, because there is a real world identity tie in, it, it is possible. Yeah. I noticed that Brain Trust also does community building exercises or, you know, really interesting experiences. Last week, you had a, a very interesting writer come and share uh, his thoughts on Web 3.0. So I noticed that even you're intentional about community building. But if you look back, say, the past year, year and a half, um, the culture of the community, is it because of the interventions that you've done or is it the community run, community managed? Uh, is it organically happening? I, I can say 100, with 100% clarity that it is happening on its own. I have nothing to do with it. I, um, barely, I can barely keep up with Discord. Uh, I think I, I show my age when I 
complain about how hard Discord is to use because it's it's like um, it's a bit overwhelming. Um, no, all those kind of webinars and things you see posted to YouTube and um, the kind of welcome new community members and that kind of stuff, all completely community driven. It's members trying to help other members, members networking with other members. Um, these folks are creating new relationships um, on the Brain Trust platform that, you know, 20 years ago would have been happening in the break room at Microsoft hmm. or at the at the PHP developer conference or, you know, the .NET users group meetup, you know, all those things that we used to go to, or at least I used to go to in, in, in real life are now happening in, in Discord and Telegram and, and whatever. So, um, I mean, in the very early days, uh, you know, we started those things, we set them up, but um, they've, it's really taken on a life of its own. And it's, um, you know, like it, it's the most surprising part of all this for me was like how hard it is to keep up with. Um, you know, I've run one of the core teams. There's, you know, probably 10, 10 like big teams now that, that contribute a lot to the brain trust network. I've never met most of them. It's hard. Like we try to capture what they're doing on our Twitter account, but even that's hard, right? It's just kind of like a, a big decentralized network now. You know, that's great. You talked previously about ownership. Um, are there long-term benefits of having ownership in a network that's fast growing? If yes, uh, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, um, ownership for us means control over the future of the network where you make your living. And so, you know, I think, um, you know, there's, like I said, we can never, there could never be any more brain trust tokens than there are now. Um, the more tokens you have, the more influence you have. And I think the, the bigger the network gets, the more important that is, um, is to, you know, if, if this ends up becoming a, a network that connects, you know, billions or hundreds of millions of the world's knowledge workers with clients, like what's control over that network worth? It's influence. It has a lot of advantage. In a way, there are a lot of parallels to how, say, an effective democracy would look like or an ideal democracy. Do you think so? You know, I look, I, I think... That, that's a really interesting topic that, that you brought up. And one of the very fair criticisms of a governance model like brain trust. So brain trust is one token, one vote. It is not one member, one vote, right? Where, where like American citizens, for instance, all get one vote regardless of their wealth. And then those votes delegate up into, you know, the delegation, the, you know, electoral college, et cetera. Um, I think for running a society, the American system's much better because what one token, one vote essentially can can eventually turn into is a plutocracy, and um, that may not be the best thing, right? We'll, we'll see. Um, now that these rules can be changed, right? We it could be, you know, I, I think um, this concept of quadratic voting that was introduced by um, Vitalik from Ethereum. Um, is really interesting where, you know, certain, like it, it, it gets closer to sort of a more American style democracy where, um, you know, the number of users that want something becomes more important than how many tokens they have is the way a sim a oversimplification of quadratic voting. Um, and so I, I could see brain trust governance evolving over time from its relatively simplistic form right now. And just like staying on the ownership question a bit more, 
hypothetically speaking, what do you think Karl Marx would think of uh, brain trust or decentralized networks and what would Adam Smith say about it? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. I've not been asked that one before. Um, Karl Marx would hate it because it is not uh, socialism. It's not the government commanding how and where and who should uh, create and, and marshal resources. It's the opposite of all those things. Um, I think Adam Smith would love it because it is about as close to free market capitalism as it gets. Got it. But would, would Marx be happy that at least workers have owners and they can control some of the network and the outcomes or he would still be grumpy? Yeah, oh, I think he would generally be grumpy about all of this because, um, because it doesn't keep everybody level, right? If, 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 if his, you know, if, if he was advocate and I'm not an, an expert on Karl Marx, I specifically try not to be one. Um, but, you know, I, I think um, it's, you know, keeping everyone level and the same is, is a spurious goal. I think it's actually counterproductive for, for humans. Yeah, so you would say equality of opportunities, not equality of outcome, right? Is It seems to me that that's what you're uh, gunning towards. You said it far better than I did. Adam, um, when you look at the Brain Trust Network today, uh, does everyone find a job or do you have within top talent, like say the 1% who really get the meat of uh, the best opportunities? Oh, no, it's, it's very... Um very evenly spread and i'll tell you why it's um we built the network to be extremely enterprise focused to begin with so there's tons of opportunity for you know people with two three plus years of, of enterprise experience right it's a, a relatively low bar but you can't have no experience um and all of those opportunities look more or less the same with some outliers right there's some like crazy machine learning stuff at the very top, you know, that might, that would pay thousands of dollars per hour or whatever, um, that, you know, maybe only a few people are qualified for in the world, but, but sort of the, you know, the bulk of the opportunity on brain trust is, you know, stuff that, and that anyone with kind of basic, uh, enterprise grade experience, if either in UX or product management or, or software development, um, ha should have equal opportunity to. And that, that's how you build a great, you know, big liquid marketplace. Got it. Are you looking to diversify, go beyond tech, maybe finance, maybe writing, maybe other kinds of jobs? Yeah, I, I, I love this idea of um, this brain trust model, um, sort of, you know, liberating talent in other categories. So um, it won't be me who does it, right? I'm, I, I'm a tech person and that's the only thing I'm good at. It's the only thing I'll ever be good at. I, I'm not a CPA, not, a, not an attorney, but um, I've had CPAs and attorneys come to me and say, you know, there's no reason for a law firm to like have a ton of paralegals on full-time staff. Like, why don't we have brain trust for paralegals? And, you know, our, our response is like, cool, let's do it. You know, like apply for a grant, let's vote on it and go do it uh, and use our software, right? Because it's, it's open source, right? Anybody can use it. And, um, and so, yeah, look, I, I, think, um, I think we will see brain trust legal, brain trust accounting, uh, brain trust compliance, you know, any of these, like, like being, a, there's nothing special about being a computer programmer, right? You're just someone who has a certain skill and you specialize in that skill and lots of companies need it. There's no difference between that and a paralegal and a certified public accountant, you know, and, or, or a technical writer, right? Those are, they're all the same thing. 
And so I, you know, I, I really, you know, I could see brain trust serving many more categories like that. Gotcha. Um, it seems to me that scaling brain trust has been energizing and fun, but have there been some challenges uh, along the way? And if yes, what have you learned from them? <laughs> uh, some, I think my co-founder Gabe said this best on Twitter the other day. Um, so building a two, build, you know, Building a software startup is like getting punched in the face every day. Building a two-sided marketplace, web-enabled two-sided marketplace, is like getting punched from each side every day because you have you're serving two customers. Building a web three marketplace is like getting punched from each side and the back every day. <laughs> the back one being, uh, you know, compliance is a real challenge in this space. It's, it's something we've we've taken very seriously and have been very diligent about, but. You know, it, it's it's a it's a real issue uh, in our space, and so, um, like to say, you know, we've had challenges. I mean, every startup has challenges for sure. Um, I think the more, you know, you're sort of going to change the world through um, creating just a 10x better experience for people economically, um, and and you know, UX in, in, a, in a category as, as important as what you do for a living. Um, like, of course, it's going to be challenging, right? Otherwise, like people would have figured it out and incrementally improved their way there already. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, one, that's a profound metaphor. Congrats, Gabe. Uh, very articulate. All Gabe. <laughs> All Gabe. And, um, you know, what you talked about challenges being, you know, omnipresent is also something that uh, every founder intimately knows. But you mentioned something about compliance uh, and our listeners would be very interested in understanding what that means and how it applies to their work life. Absolutely. So, I mean, one of the big uh, issues, uh, very valid concerns about the blockchain space is compliance with tax laws, securities laws, um, CFTC, there's, there's, you know, investor protection, you know, the, the like take the, the SEC, for example, I mean, their, their job is to protect investors from fraudulent actors, right? And so if you start a for-profit company and want to go public, like it's very hard to be a fraud, like a, a, have a, have fraud as your business model and go public on the NYSE, right? It's, it's in, and and what that regulation layer does is it, creates this like very safe, trusted environment for investors to pour capital into the US. This is what I would say the main reason the US has won over other jurisdictions where regulation just isn't taken as seriously or enforced as much. And so tokens, many token projects are just securities hiding behind a blockchain, right? They're, un, they're basically unregistered securities and, and unregistered securities are magnets for fraud and abuse. And that's how, you know, lots of people can lose money and lose faith in the system. And so, you know, the SEC, I like I, I, I empathize with with what they their job is, right? They have to walk this line between allowing for innovation, right? Like let like letting tech innovation sort of do its thing without like becoming this new vehicle for just people fraud, right? Stealing money, defrauding investors. And so a lot of tokens like look like shares of stock because they're giving dividends back or whatever. And they, you know, they should be registered as securities. And, and so that's, you know, the SEC's job. There's other tokens like ours where it's, it's a governance system. It's, it's sort of like a membership ticket to the network. 
it is like it's it's cash value is not relevant to the operation of the network. So it's not a security, right? And so people say like, oh, there's not regulatory clarity in blockchain in the US. There is, you may not like it, but it is clear, right? There's a Howey test. There's like, you know, the, the rules are actually clear. I'm not saying the rules don't need to be updated, right? I, I think there's some, you know, we could talk, we do another hour on how we could update these rules from the 1930s. Um, but the fact is the rules are the rules. And if you're going to run a project in the United States, you have to be compliant. It cannot be, you know, a security dressed up as something else. And so, um, you know, I would, I would encourage any founder um, looking to stand up a project in this space, like, first of all, really think about what you're doing, right? If, if you're just trying to create a profit return mechanism or a dividend machine, but hide it on a blockchain, like, don't bother doing it in the US, they're going to get you or they should get you. Um, and two, you know, be thoughtful about um, de system design and regulatory compliance early on. You know, we work with an amazing team at Fenwick um, that's helped us from day one and let them help you early, early and often. Um, Cause it's, you know, it's, it's something that um, yes, it could slow innovation down, but like these are important rules. And the, these, these rules that are enforced by the SEC and CFTC and others are the reason, one of the reasons America has the most vibrant, you know, equities market on the planet. Well, really well said. Last question. Um, you have alluded to this before, but let me ask you, is there a shared truth that everyone on Brain Trust Network believes in? And does that link to say the best part of your job today? Well, it's hard to tell because it's a big network now and we, have, we haven't pulled all of them uh, in quite a while. But if I were to guess, I would say sort of the passion around autonomy and control over how you make your living is, I would say, like the core DNA we probably all share. Just like, you know, like the Bitcoin community has this shared love around like non-reliance on state actors right or or, or non-reliance on on fiat fiat government controlled money um i mean i'm a member of the bitcoin community as well not not a big one but um but i love that i respect that about the bitcoin community i think the brain trust community would be love of autonomy around how you make your living fascinating well, Adam uh, gave as a member of the community Brain Trust um, and a connector, I've benefited tremendously. I love the energy, and you know we're in the process of exploring a collaboration. I hope a lot of Network Capital members give it a shot. Uh, I love talking with you and your thoughts um, on from Marx to Bitcoin to regulation to why you do what you do. I think uh, everyone who listens to it, who watches it, will have a lot to take away. Is there anything that I should have asked you, but I haven't any parting words that you'd like to share? Well, I was going to say you really covered all the bases well. I don't think I've talked about regulatory and Karl Marx uh, in the same conversation. So, um, you know, well done on, on the, um, the, the questioning and um, really enjoyed it. I, I think we, we hit all these points that matter. Um, Makes sense that you 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 part you're uh, an important part of the brain trust community. So you know you you you've got kind of an inside out look at it, and, and um, we're big fans of network capital as well, and and really appreciate uh, you having us on. Thank you, Adam. To lots of more collaborations to come. See you soon.